0: Hi
2: guys, I'm John Weeks from Plant-Based Face-Off, the Instagram page all about trying new plant-based food alternatives. I try, compare and rate the latest food in the vegan world and let you know which is best. I'm talking everything from burgers to cheese to chocolate. Check me out on Insta at Plant-Based Face-Off. Now though, it's time for this week's podcast. Enjoy.
0: You're listening to The Contest and Me, a podcast from the Euro Trip.
2: Hello everybody, how are you? Thank you so much for joining us here on the Eurotrip for a special bonus episode of the podcast. You know us, you know we love to bring you bonus one-offs. We've spoken to some big names from the Eurovision Song Contest. Martin Ustedal, the Executive Supervisor of the Contest. Krista Bjorkman, Lee Smithers at the BBC was a very popular one. But this week, Rob, this is another
3: biggie. Yeah, new listeners... Welcome, we are the world's most listened to Eurovision podcast, so well done for finding us, and you are going to be rewarded, as James said, because today we bring you an interview with somebody that I haven't heard speak anywhere else about her experiences with the Eurovision Song Contest. Now, what follows is me and James saying her name in many different ways, which she will then give us the accurate pronunciation at the start of the interview. But I'm going to call her Petra Merda. She is an incredible woman, of course, best known as the host of Eurovision 2013, Eurovision 2016. James, plenty more besides... Indeed, she's hosted
2: Fest on a couple of occasions back in 2009, she did a semi-final of it in 2016, and in 2015 as well, she was one of the hosts, alongside Graham Norton, of Eurovision's Greatest Hits, uh, to mark the 60th anniversary of the contest we all know and love, so she has got a lot of stories to tell, I promise
3: you that. It's safe to say she is one of the most well-loved individuals when it comes to the Eurovision Song Contest. So it is so good to have her on the podcast. Indeed it is. So let's get
2: into it. You're listening on Acast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Eurotrip.
3: Now, it's safe to say... Whatever you were doing while you are listening to this, you have got one thought on your mind, which is, I really hope Robin James don't talk for a really long time now before we get to hear the interview with Petra, because that's all I'm here for. I just want to hear from Petra, and that's absolutely fine. So we will keep this chat to a minimum. But I do just want to say again, thank you for being here. Thank you for choosing us. I really hope you're going to enjoy what you're going to hear over the next little while, because it's a fantastic interview, James, you had the privilege of chatting to Petra, and I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that is probably one of the best mornings you've you've ever had. Indeed, it was
2: scheduled for 9am UK time. She was running a little bit late. Uh, got there at about 20 past. But it's safe to say we were on the Zoom call for close to an hour and a half and you're going to hear most of the hour recording that we had uh, apart from those three occasions where her mother started to ring her and uh, she had to dart away for those little occasions but you will hear so many of her wonderful stories Um, if you've not been listening over the last six weeks or so or oh, if you have and you just need a little reminder, we've been doing a lovely little series called The Contest and Me, where we've been speaking to well-known fans of the Eurovision Song Contest, and we've been asking them all the very same questions, uh, which we're going to ask Pepper as well. So we're going to find out what her first Eurovision memory is, the moment where she first fell in love with the contest, her favourite Eurovision year, and her favourite Eurovision song, her most memorable Eurovision moment. Uh, this is the the big interesting question as well. Let's be been getting a lot of people talking online. Uh, If she was the UK's head of delegation, how would she change uh, the BBC's approach to the contest? And finally, the one change
3: she'd like to see most uh, in the future at the Eurovision Song Contest. The one change I would like to see most is that Petra just hosts it every year. I would be fine with that. If the EBU just went, you know what, Petra, you can do it every year, I would be well up for that. But it's safe to say that nowhere else are you going to hear Petra Merda's opinion on the UK and Eurovision, other than on this podcast with us. So, oh, it's brilliant. I hope you enjoy it. Let us know what you think of this chat with Petra and what Petra has to say. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Eurotrip Podcast. We are also on email, hello at eurotrippodcast.com. And we would love to hear what you think about this, because as we say, it's a pleasure to bring it to you and we hope you enjoy it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the main reasons why we do this podcast every single week is to bring you insight into the contest that you don't hear elsewhere. And this chat with Petra is certainly one of them because I, for one, haven't really seen her do at least any English language interviews uh, since probably about 2016, actually. So it's great to bring Petra to you. Uh, You notice I'm just calling her Petra. Rob has tried to say her full name on a couple of occasions so far. Uh, So that's probably the place we should really start this chat, isn't it? So, before we get into all of those crucial questions, let's just clear up a little bit of business with Petra herself. Petra, before we get going, before I welcome you on, I must get you to finally put to bed exactly how we pronounce your name. Because so many people say it in so many different ways. So, Petra, tell us how we would say your name.
4: Petra Mede.
2: Ah, oh, wonderful, wonderful.
4: <laughs> Is it? Can you repeat it, James?
2: Oh, I don't know if I should, because I'll just embarrass myself. Maybe I should just leave it to you, and I shall just call you Petra from now on. How about that? You can say
4: Petra, yes. The thing is so funny, because my dad always said, oh, we gave you and your sister international names. But actually, they did not. Because they can say Petra Mead. But the thing is, people say Petra Mead, which is actually more uh more correct way of saying it if you want to sound a little bit Swedish so but it's awkward for 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 anyone who's not Swedish I think yeah
2: it is never mind we can we can move on with it anyway Petra thank you so much for joining us thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast we've got loads to chat about I imagine you've got some wonderful stories but should we start by talking about Eurovision 2021 did you watch it what did you think about it this year
4: I did, because I was longing for the Eurovision since, I mean, well, because of, we all know, uh, the, the COVID, everything has been like up and down. And I think people have been longing for things that unite us and get us together. And so I was really longing for the Eurovision Song Contest this year. Yes, yes, I saw it. Yeah. And I... Well, I will not say uh, the country I voted for. There were many, many good songs, um, and uh, yes, it was. I was so pleased that they were able to to do it, and it was great fun. Yes.
2: Why? Why aren't you going to tell us who you voted for? Is it a secret? Are you not allowed to tell anybody?
4: Uh, <laughs> well, the thing is, okay, I might as well tell you. I think there were many great songs. The thing is, the Icelandic uh, song. Last year, when the Eurovision never—it it wasn't held at all, was it? No, no, not at all. I really loved that song, so actually, I would have liked that song to win. So I, I still got—you know—my heart was pumping for the Icelandic um, because it was the same guy singing. I forgot his name right now. Daddy, and, Frey. Uh, Yeah, exactly. So I, I think uh, I, I, I really liked that song. I, I think it was. Uh, but the, the first one last year was even better. Actually, I would have liked that song to win.
2: What did you think about Tusa, of course, representing Sweden this year? How did uh, how oh, did you enjoy him this year?
4: Wonderful, of course. Of course, we always want Sweden to win. Or um, the thing is, actually, I don't really mind what country wins because I think the 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 contest is bigger than that. It's actually more like a a big party, and the the most important thing is that people come together through music. So that's actually what I think the Eurovision Song Contest stands for, more than being a, a, a song contest, which is also, of course, uh, nice. But um, I think the party and the love around it. And, uh, of course, Tuss uh, is also very close to my heart. And here in Sweden, he, we have this um, radio show every year, summertime, called Sommar i Piet, Summer in in the Piet, was in this channel, and he uh, talked for one hour and a half about his life and his background and the Eurovision. And, you know, the whole country listened to him and we all fell even more in love with him. You know, he's just such a wonderful person. And his voice is also, I mean, I love the song and what it was about and, and, and everything, yeah.
2: Uh, you must have watched Melody Festival in this year as well, I imagine it looked a little bit different to- how we've seen in recent years without the crowd but did you watch it did yes. you enjoy it did they do a good job
4: absolutely absolutely i think uh, n- n- not to be bragging too much but i think that sweden uh thanks to many people um krista uh, birkman of course and uh, edvard o'sullivan and and many many more have made the the swedish uh, competition which is called melodi and uh you know, a great show that is like a tradition that you know, the majority of the Swedes watch it. Uh, this year, um, actually uh, a dear friend of mine, Anna Granot uh, and Mickey Mortensen, they were um, responsible for uh, everything that was around the competition, like the comedy and the sketches and the uh, hosts and everything. And so they were like different hosts every time uh, without an audience, but on a great stage. And uh, it was in the final, it was Mons Selmerlöv and uh, uh, Shiman varani who's a great artist. And um, yeah, I think they did a very, very good job. And it was one uh, spectacular, uh, what do you say? Do you say number or is it like a spectacular... Yeah, number made by Penny Lavalgren and, and Per Andersson, who are two comedians and singers here in Sweden, and they just blew us away. And I think uh, Anna and Micke, who made this um, number, they were just one of the best things I've, I've ever seen. You know, things were put on fire and they were hanging down from the ceiling, and it, it was it was a number where everything that can go wrong did go wrong. So it was, yeah. Oh, I think well, they did a great job. And the thing is, I think that all the the Swedes working in the media our artists, we have become kind of used to not having an audience. Sadly, I mean, we love when the audience is there, but we have had to cope as best as good as we can. So everything on the telly has been, you know. I've been doing other shows on the Channel Four and um, uh, Let's Dance, which you also have in. England, of course, but you call do you call it this dance. Yeah. yeah. Strictly
2: Come Dancing, we call it. Strictly
4: Come Dancing. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, we are used to having, you know, so many people around and we did it without any audience and somehow we managed to make something else out of it and uh, even become somewhat used to it. So, so I think that the Swedish television as a whole has coped, but we are longing for the audience, of
2: course. And it was the final year of Krista Bjorkman, of course. You mentioned him yourself. He's just done a remarkable job over the last 20 years or so. You must know him quite well as well. I imagine you've worked with him a few times too.
4: Yes, yes, I absolutely... Um, well, I, I don't know everything about him. I, I know that he's very tired in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> that, that I learned. Uh, he made such a good concept. And he made the Swedish uh, melody festival. Something that was concerning almost everyone, you know, from from children to elderly, and uh, and very uh, a show that was very including, and where also new artists can can make great success. And uh, yeah, the, the the Swedish competition has become very very important. I don't know if it's that important in other countries. Actually, how is your national show? Uh, doing uh I mean because you do have a competition I mean it wasn't months um
2: yeah Mons so we team, uh... from 2016 to 2019 we had a national final but it was just one show on one evening it was very small
4: ah. but is the Eurovision Song Contest uh, as big um eh, as it is in Sweden in in Great Britain yeah. or in the UK yeah.
2: it's very popular especially on the huh. evening but I think a lot of people watch it because they don't like it and they like to sort of Making ah. comments about it and stuff like okay. that. So uh, I think the Swedish audience really appreciates it, whereas a lot of the UK audience doesn't, sadly. But maybe that yeah. will change. Maybe that will change. I
4: think that because that was actually the way Swedes uh, looked upon uh, the Eurovision Song Contest before, like 20 years ago. But I think uh, Christy Birkman changed that into um, taking taking it more seriously. Of course, we can still have like yeah, entries. That are uh, more comic. I mean, mm. we still can see that in the Eurovision song contest, and then you can laugh at it. But at the same time, we consider it a very, you know, kind of high-profile uh, competition. With we had our opera singer um, Malina Anman participated, who is like an international opera star. And um, if you talk about credibility, I think um, the Melody Festival has um, earned more credibility in the in the 20 years that uh, Christy Berkman uh, has worked with it
2: we'll talk a little bit more about the UK and the BBC a little bit later but I want to wind the clock back I don't know how many years maybe you'll tell me because I want to know what your very first Eurovision memory is can you remember seeing Eurovision for the very first time
4: the answer is so easy because I'm in the in the spot of the ABBA era you know I was born in 1970 so when I was 4 years old they won you know I Every Swede uh, watched um, Waterloo when they won uh, with the song Waterloo in in Great Britain, actually in UK. Yeah. yeah. So that is my that's my absolute first. That's actually almost the first memory as a as a as a human being <laughs> because it was so big. And I remember running down to the what do you call the kindergarten or how do you say it in uh, the school the the, the school yeah, yeah. Um, like preschool and. Uh, we were like hysterical and they had newspapers there and we were cutting out, you know, the head of agnetta and Frida and uh, pretending to be them. And it was just so big, so big.
2: So your first memory is in fact four years old and you somehow yes. remember ABBA and the Eurovision Song Contest. That's madness. Yes,
4: yes, yes, yes. And I think one of my, well, the absolute first record I got, I think my dad uh, bought it. It was the, the Waterloo, uh, the ABBA record, yeah.
2: Wow, that's remarkable. I know you were very young, but, you know, hearing stories from, you know, maybe people who are older than you or your parents, did did Waterloo and did ABBA change the contest in Sweden, do you think?
4: Absolutely. Yes, yes. I mean, I, I, I wasn't there to experience how it was before, but I don't think Sweden really. Well, you know, the 70s was quite like a left uh, politically we were quite on the left wing here in Sweden and I think the Eurovision uh, and even ABBA was considered a little bit commercial so it was not you know um, if you wanted to be like real cool and have a lot of credibility you were like uh, very into alternative uh, uh, artists and things like that but I think ABBA really changed it in 1974 and we everyone just fell in love with them and the contest. So from there on, I think it became uh, bigger than it had been before. So when do you
2: think you first fell in love with the Eurovision Song Contest? It's a question we ask everybody. When do you Ah. think that moment was that it just, you just sort of clicked with it and you just realized, I really love this Eurovision Song Contest.
4: Well, the thing is that I would have to be boring uh, to say that it was that year. I mean, I had never—I was only four. I don't remember what I had seen before, but I know that from from that day, uh, I always was so thankful to the Eurovision Song Contest for for letting ABBA win, or let or having ABBA as winners. And uh, I mean, they were like. ABA and the Eurovision were like for me as a child the same thing. Yeah. So, so therefore, I would I would say that I have uh, seen it more or less ever since. And then I think I fell well. Of course, I fell in love with it when I was hosting it, <laughs> <laughs> because then I really, I then I really got into it in another way, and I met so many people that were like fans and should I say fanatics uh, and then I you know I I just um, had no distance to it at all so so I would say uh, starting working with it made me even falling more in love
2: yeah I can't wait to find out some more stories about 2013 (laughs) and 2016 when you hosted it. I'd love to know a little bit more about when, you know, you're growing up and you're getting a bit older. And, you know, what are some of your other memories about watching Eurovision on TV or even Melody Festival on TV? Because, you know, we must mention that Melody Festival is as big as Eurovision in Sweden.
4: The thing is, it is sometimes, uh, sometimes I would say it's actually bigger because it's, or, or equally big, you know. We we, we care just as much as about uh, about uh, Melodifestivalen as the Eurovision Song Contest. So when it comes to Melodifestivalen, I remember uh, when I was like nine or ten. We always, when I went to school because I went downhill. I I lived up on a hill and I went down, and I went with my friends. And if we started singing there, it was like an echo over the valley where I lived uh, in Gothenburg. And there was uh, an artist called Ted Järvedstad, and he had a song called "Satellite" that he won with Uh, "Satellite, satellite, Satellite." the kids just you know singing and the the echo over the valley uh just you know uh being so in love with with this uh, song and, and this guy that is like uh, a great memory and also uh i remember you must correct me when it comes to the years in um wasn't it in 1980 making your mind up and if you want to see some more yeah. 1981
2: uh, i think it was
4: 1981, yeah. yeah. That I think that was maybe one of, after Amber, that was the second song that I really fell in love with. And I think the, sh- the show, when they pulled the, the, the skirts off the girls and they were like sporty and uh, yeah. I always wanted to be one of the girls. I love it when it's a group of two boys and two girls, obviously. <laughs> oh,
2: honestly, those stories are just-
4: And we actually had one, I'm sorry to interrupt. We had Bjorn Kvifs, also um, a great Swedish artist. And he was singing in the Eurovision, um, It always gets worse when the night comes, because I miss you and everything. And he forgot his lyrics in the Eurovision Song Contest uh, when he was singing live. But I don't think anybody uh, who was not Swedish uh, noticed. But all the Swedes, you know, we were, today we were laughing, but we were like shaking because he was just saying nonsense. He was saying nothing. Blah, 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 zum, 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 zum. I remember being like this, uh, but the thing is that nobody else in other countries they didn't understand it. So, but he he really forgot all the lyrics, and I don't know if that ever has happened le- before or later. So that's also a strong memory. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I'm surprised you never forgot any of your lyrics when in 2013 and 16 when you did some of your songs when you were hosting. I don't know how you ever remembered <sighs> all of the lyrics.
4: You know, when we did this. Uh, uh, number, do you say a number? Yeah, a number called uh, uh, the Swedish Smorgasbord in 2013 which was like almost seven minutes long Uh, it was a song and a uh, a big show about everything that is Swedish I come from a country that's hard to find somewhere near the icy Pole but though we are freezing please bear in mind Sweden is gonna warm your soul our people are cold, but our elks are hot. A horny hoard in every fjord. Our moons may be loose, but they hit the spot. On our board. A tour of our uh, it was hilarious, but I remember at I don't I think it was like one o'clock the same night before. We were still rehearsing it. And you know. There were so many things coming on stage. It was so much logistics about it. And I was coming off stage from that side, running with those dancers. Coming, I was I sitting on a moose? I don't even remember. And then the lyrics, and it got faster and faster. And you know, it was just crazy. But but everyone, and I remember Edward Osilian, who is you know, I think every. Everyone who loves the Eurovision knows about Edward. He directed this uh, this great number, and you know, I just put all my faith and trust in him. I think we all did, but you know, when we rehearsed it the first time, and I think Edward said that afterwards that you know, but they didn't tell us who were on stage that they you know they just said, but we're, we're not going to make it. This, this is not this is it's not going to be possible to do this. It's just just too crazy. Uh, and the thing is that 2016. Uh, edward uh had the same high ambitions as he always has and uh then Moss and i did this um, love love uh
2: a piece love love peace peace
4: a peace piece yeah exactly <laughs> exactly uh, uh, that was also like yeah almost the same thing although i think it was a couple of minutes shorter but it was the same thing you know the ambition we had or that the, everyone had with so many dancers and the, 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 all the cameras ah oh, you know i still i'm amazed that I participated in this.
2: <laughs> what was 2013 like? When Do you remember getting the call to say, Petra, we'd love you to present the Eurovision Song Contest? And you must have thought when you got asked, OK, but who else am I going to do it with? Because you were the first person in, I think, about 18 years to host it solo. You were the first person to host three shows because you did the semifinals solo. Yes, yes. Um, mm-hmm. you, you, you're mad, aren't you?
4: Yeah, well... <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I absolutely remember uh, getting a call. I, I think it was Christer uh, Edward and um, the new EBU director, just uh, out of his name. Yeah, Martin
3: Estadal.
4: Martin, I said Mathias, Martin Nistardau, of course. They invited me to a dinner. Uh, and I actually, the thing is that I was pregnant uh, and expecting a baby in January. So, so I, you know, I didn't even think about being an option because I knew that the Eurovision was going to be held in in May, and uh I mean, for me, I knew that of course I can do it, but but I thought people maybe think that I will be on mother's leave or maternity yeah, leave majority, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, um, I wish I. I never were or <laughs> have been because uh, I love my baby and I love working and uh, I've taken her with me. Uh, so when I had this dinner, of course, I, I, you know, I did the math and said, all these three people are are in working with the Eurovision Song Contest. So maybe it has something to do with that. And then, well, you know, we finished dinner and uh, uh, then uh, they asked, I don't know if it was Christer or if it, uh, Martin, I think, what would you say about hosting the Eurovision? Um, and I mean, of course I said I, I wanted to, but from there it was a lot of work and planning before everything was arranged. But uh, yeah, it was an unforgettable moment. And I'm, you know, I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful for for having had this opportunity because, you know, they have been the the gigs of my life. Together with the, the Hammersmith, when I um, uh, h- hosted with the... Graham Norton uh you know those three moments were you know the the greatest uh I've experienced so what was
2: it like for 2016 then because you must have thought after 2013 you must have mm-hmm. thought okay that's once in a lifetime what an amazing experience and then they come back and ask you to
4: do it again I I, I could never foresee this it was I, I but the thing is I think that proposal came quite early earlier than um the first time. So I mean Christel and Martin and Edward has they have to speak for themselves because I don't know how the decision was made, but I think they made the decision quite early because they got in contact with me and and Mons quite early. Yeah. And what was it like
2: working yeah, with Mons? Because you would have, I presume, 2009 Melody Festival, and you hosted mm. that, of course, and Mons was mm. there. So, of course, you've worked mm. with them and met him before. What was mm. it like to work with them at the contest in 2016? That must have, I mean, it looked like a whole lot of fun.
4: Ah, it was so much fun. You were actually asking me about the first time also if I thought I was going to host it with someone. Uh, but I don't think... That ever no. We were thinking about one host that, or they wanted to have one host. But the second time, I don't know who was asked first, but I think that both Mons and I just screamed yes because you know we just uh, we haven't worked that much together since two thousand and nine. But you know we've known each other and um, and I think he's so much fun. He's uh, he's a comedian, just as I am a singer. Not. <laughs>
0: but... Uh, <laughs>
4: but you know and once we started singing uh, oh no sorry rehearsing uh we just you know we just knew that this is going to be so much fun and i hope that that also uh went through the, the, the the tv screen that people could see because i think that if you see two people having fun and then that they enjoy each other that makes everything so much easier and you kind of Uh, get into the same mood as they are. I even saw some signs with your name on it, Mons. Yes, thankfully I have a couple of monsters in the audience. A few what?
0: Monsters. That's what my fans are called, monsters.
4: Very interesting. Well, uh, you know, I also have some fans.
0: Oh yeah? Yes.
4: (laughs) And, um... And what are they called? They are called very intelligent people.
2: How much did you work with Edward? You've already mentioned him a few times already. But of course, I imagine the relationship must have been really close between you, Mons, and Edward to make sure that shows... <coughs>
4: really close, yes, yes, extremely close. Yeah, it was, I mean, it, it was like we were almost isolated doing our thing uh, for many months. And then, you know, we came into the big production. But I think that is also very important when you work with the 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 director and the the writer that you get into the same mood uh, and we were really getting the 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 vision that Edward uh, had for us and uh, you know he's also very so cooperative so we made it and he knows us so well so he knew I, I would say there was really nothing we had to like change or so uh, his vision was was something we we bought from the very first minute and then months. I mean I think I really discovered how f- much fun he was and uh, how extremely professional he is and you know I-, I would say because all of the people in the telly you know we can be moody and it's a lot of nervousness and and things but he's always you know just keeping calm or not as or at least not, at least not, not showing us if he's irritated or so and I would say the only thing uh, Edward and I didn't um, agree on with Mons was coming out to his uh, uh, country house, <laughs> because Edward and I are so much of city people, and uh, re- from the beginning uh, Mons told us, "Oh, we have to come out to you know we can spend the weekend in, in on, on the countryside and and uh, we can swim." And, and Edward and I, we were just ca- trying to procrastinate you know yes of course we will but you know but we never got there because we were too lazy and too much of city people. <laughs> so he never got to show the great house and now it's sold and he probably bought a bigger one so so we were making a little bit fun of that but yeah Ah, oh, he's he was so ah, oh, it was so much fun and it was also i mean it was so great to to, to host it uh, alone because that's also sometimes easier because you know you don't you just have to rely on yourself and if you if you make a mistake or so you don't have to um be responsible uh, for somebody else's um you know if if I don't do everything right I feel responsible for months whereas if I forget words or things and I'm doing it myself I can kind of rescue the situation so first I was a little bit nervous that how am I going to and I'm also quite Uh, individualistic, you know, like having things my way and so forth. And and Mons, and I was thinking, how is it going to be? And the thing is that Mons uh, actually just made me feel much more safe and uh, also funnier because he laughed at me and I love people who laugh at me. And he was also so much fun. So, so, you know, I I would love to work with Mons again. He's just
2: great. Another one on 2016, the semi-final, the Interval Act, where you do this, you know, this big grand number. You know what I'm going to ask? The, the part where you've got to do the languages. You've got to sing uh, all of these languages that uh, have always have ever been performed at the contest. Uh, uh, You're shaking uh, your head. You look stressed already. Uh, Just me mentioning it. Uh, Go on, tell me.
1: Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah, I would say, well, first of all, I should say that when it comes to my preference, I since I'm like, I like this old Hollywood derb, so I think that number is just as as great as because love love peace peace has become, you know, like a kind of a, a song that every all the fans know. Uh, but I would really like to emphasize also this this number. It was so classy and it was really up my alley. Is that what yep. you're saying? Or down my okay. alley. Um, so so yeah, but it was so hard it, it, all, all the, and, and Mons was so much better than I was. so so yeah, after, oh, we were rehearsing day and night. it was so fast. Uh, I, I think well, we shouldn't compare, but I, I would say Mons did it somewhat better, but it was yeah, ah. Oh. And
2: that was live, wasn't it? it, you, it that... It's all
4: Edward's fault. no, who wrote the lyrics? I should have a talk to that person. <laughs>
2: and it was it was live wasn't it you weren't miming you were actually singing those words live on the night
4: crazy crazy And Luxembourgish songs. We've had two songs with sign language and three in a made-up tongues. And Timian, Creole, Norwegian, Vero, Viennese, Neapolitan, Catalan, Udmurt, Montenegrin, and Maltese. is Greek, Albanian, Slovak, Ukrainian, Romany, Russian, Romanian, Crimean, Slovenian, Hebrew, Armenian,
2: Arabic, and Lithuanian.
4: Portuguese, Macedonian, Britain, Estonian, Pontic, Catalan, Croatian, Bulgarian, Georgian, Italian, Bosnian, Latvian, Kosovan, Serbian, German, Hungarian, Polish, English, English, Irish, Finnish, Swedish, Spanish, and Dutch, Samogitian, Turkish, Danish, French, Tahitian, though not very much. And though I. And, 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 and not only that, but I mean, when it comes to singing and and just, you know, it was a kind of a lot of choreography uh, at the same time. And also there we had all the dancers, you know, they were standing in that line or there. So you can't make any mistakes. That's what I mean. What when you are, if you're standing alone on stage, I would say that's actually the easiest thing because you can, you can, if you feel safe. I mean, and as a comedian, I'm a comedian from 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 the beginning. You can always kind of get through things. But when you're in this great show and everyone, you you have to rely on each other. You know, I can't just bump into a dancer, or, or you know, everyone will fall. And so, but the only thing I, I. I miss is not being able to do it again. Because, you know, those things, we do it once. Of course, that is also the, the charm of it. But, you know, sometimes you want to say, oh, I would like to do that again. I would like to do those two numbers, you know, 100 times more, but it's, it's one off. That's also the great part of your vision that it's it's uh, direct and it's live and it's it never comes back, It's yeah.
2: Yeah, it's absolutely marvellous. And thankfully, you did a wonderful job both times. Um, I want to ask you about your favourite Eurovision year. I know we've talked a lot about 2013 and 2016. Mm. So maybe you can Mm. try and choose between them. But also, another of your favourite years where you didn't host just because of the songs or something else. Can you try and choose a favourite year as well?
4: When it comes to the earlier Eurovision Song Contests, I, I mainly remember the songs actually more than the show around it. And I, I think that's also because the the show around it has become so much bigger the last years. Uh, I mean, I remember, of course, Lilim um, Fosch, uh, Swedish host in 1985, should that be? Yeah. When she dropped her dress. I mean, that is like... Oh, and she is, you know, she is like a role model for me because she is so calm and sure of herself. And uh, I was so inspired by her. So that was, you know, I'm sounding very nationalistic, but of course it's it's more fun when your own country is hosting it and that's also what you remember. So I remember that also when Germany did it a couple of years ago when they had the, uh, I think it was great. What was the, 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 the girl, the comedian's name? I don't have it now, but I think she was so much fun and they did a, a, a great job also. And I remember uh, what year was that? Si tu la musique, with avec moi, si tu to dance, no no no. You know, that song, me and my best friend, I think we were around 9, 10, we wrote a Swedish version, uh, the Swedish lyrics to that song, and then we sent it to the Swedish television and said that we had written the whole song and we wanted to perform it in Swedish. But of course, they understood that this was this was, was not our song, so we never got to sing it. But I remember the Swedish lyrics. On du musiken, It was, yeah, we translated it into Swedish. It's that's so it's now these are like just a glimpse of different Eurovision song contests.
2: I know I, I asked you for your favorite year, and you've mentioned about 20 different years, but I'm gonna let you off yeah. because <laughs> I'm, okay. not, I'm not gonna force you to choose one, but it it mm. moves us nicely on to favorite eurovision song and for somebody who isn't a singer you've sung quite a lot so far Mm -hmm. but (laughs) but, which is wonderful i must say but can you well don't
4: be my manager never thought it was a great idea (laughs) you can't sing well i did i did my best i always wanted to be a singer at all i would have loved to participated in the melody festival but i don't think i'm that much of a singer but i do sing you know no one can stop me from singing in the bathroom yeah the uh, uh, so, Eurovision song contest.
2: <laughs> well, now we're we're at the time where the submission window is open for Melody Festival mm-hmm. and are you Petra going to write a song, enter a song? Are we going to see you in Melody Festival in 2022? Well,
4: the thing is, I must tell you, I had a dream. I don't know if it was a, a nightmare or if it was a, a what was what is the contrary the, a, a wonderful dream. Uh I dreamt that I was going to participate in the Melody Festival because I think I have like a little, yeah, you know, there's something that I, I can't let go of. And the thing is that everything was in the dream. Everything was arranged very quickly. They said, oh, we have a song here. You're going to sing it tomorrow. And you're not announced, but we will, you know, we will tell it during the, the, the show that you are coming. So I hardly learned the song. And, you know, I was trying to do the dance steps. And, you know, my manager said, this isn't good, you know, but, you know, now we have promised. And I just said, but am I going to, you know, is my going to, am I going to spoil my career as a as a host and a comedian by doing this? And, you know, my managers say, yeah, you might. Do. But the, everyone was like, you know, like clapping, like when you're at school and people are, yeah, do it, do it, do it. And then you kind of do something that you never should have done. And uh, I remember waking up all wet and sweaty uh, just when I was, a goat to start singing.
2: So maybe the dream was was an omen. Don't do it. Stick to Absolutely. stick to comedy. Stick to presenting. That's, that's yes, your area. Exactly. Don't do yeah, any I more don't. singing. <laughs> what about your favourite song then? Have you got some favourites that you always like to listen to? Have you got some that always come to mind when people ask you about your favourite ever Eurovision song? It's hard. It's a hard one, isn't it? It's a difficult question. It depends on it's what day of the year. I
4: Actually, actually, have to. Okay, let's just mention some of those that I frequently sing. Of course, it's ABBA, it's Puppet on a String, it's Cliff Richard, it's Making Your Mind Up. I, I, I constantly go back to, ah, oh, the Belgium, j'aime, j'aime la vie. Um, oh, how? Oh. And then, of course, Montsel Melev's Heroes, I think, is, ah, uh, Uh, Of course He would love uh, to
2: hear you say that wouldn't he I bet you he loves it when you tell him That's one of your favourite ever songs He loves it doesn't he
4: Yeah well yeah I hope he does (laughs) But I think it was It had everything It was so powerful And um, And um, Euphoria is also I I mean I sound very nationalistic But I think Euphoria is I've heard it in so many versions I actually heard it in a um, uh, an, an orchestra symphonic symphonic orchestra played, and there i actually spoke to the director and said what what do you think about this melody and this um as a as a piece of music and she said it's just it's fantastic and she comes from the you know classical music side and um and she said that 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 melody is so universal and uh, also fits in different kind of styles so and then there's Johnny Logan, of course. When I when I when I was at the Hammersmith uh, and he came up, started singing on stage. Ah, oh, what's another year? Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I I the answer is what's another year? What's another year for someone who I I can't really decide, but if I should, uh, I remember, I mean, that's the only song that made me cry. Of course, I was also in that age when you cry a lot. So, so, and I remember actually going out with a boy, like, what what year was, uh, what's another year? Uh, 1980, I think. 1980, okay. Well, shortly after, or maybe three years after, I actually shortly went out with a boy. Whom I thought looked exactly like Johnny Logan. Uh, well, I never married, so so, and I did marry the Johnny Logan. But I mean, I remember one of the reasons I fell in love was that he looked like Johnny Logan. Uh, so, <laughs> so I have to say, I have to say, uh, yeah. And the other Johnny Logan song is "Homie." Oh, no, no, what's not years better. Yeah. No, I will stick to that. I'll stick to that. Yeah.
2: Have you um have you ever met Johnny Logan?
4: Well, I met him then um, and we had like an after party after the the celebration of the Eurovision Song Contest. Uh, I talked to him briefly, but I was very starstruck. So I don't think I said many words, uh, but he seemed very, very nice and very polite. And yeah, uh, a little bit older, just like we all.
2: Shall we move on to your most memorable Eurovision moment? I imagine it's going to come from either 2013 or 2016, given just how much fun you had there.
4: I would say uh...
2: <laughs> it's another difficult one, isn't it? Because I'm trying to think of 2013 and 2016, and for a lot of people, yeah, I would
4: say I would say one moment that was off stage, and that is in 2013 when me and Edward, we were like you know, we never parted, and then there was like a little pre-party where all the contestants, uh, it was like a red carpet, and the uh, the contestants and their crew were coming in to uh, like the concert hall in Malmo, and they were being greeted by the, like the commune uh, I don't know what you call that, the the like the mayor or what you say in in that city. Uh, they were being greeted, and we were they were being invited to, you know, having champagne and eat a little bit. So, and I, me and Edward, we were also standing um, there to greet everyone. And I was all dressed up and in makeup and everything. But the thing is that nobody noticed me. So (laughs) I just, me and Edward, we had so much fun because in the beginning we were standing, you know, and I was, you know, greeting the artists and, you know, they, they were so they were not full of themselves but they had a lot to think about and i don't think that their their priority was to think about oh who's hosting this so so you know they saw my face they'd never seen it before and they were you know hardly impressed they just thought this is one of the uh, oh yeah and i said I- i'm petriment i'm going to host oh, okay okay and then you know so that was the the, the first the first artist but after like 30 minutes they didn't even say hi to me because they were just want, they wanted to have the champagne and partings, talking to the mayor and the principal of everything and you know so after like 20 minutes and i have a back problem so i was really tired and you know edward he gave me a chair and we both sat down and we were like so moved out of the center of this event <laughs> although i was the host of the of the eurovision that was really you know that was a reality check that we we were like not in the center of everybody's mind But I remember laughing a lot about that, and I also remember, you know, now we can laugh at it. But uh, I remember also the night before the finals when, in two thousand and thirteen, when Edward and I um, were rehearsing the 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 voting, and we had to like get contact with all the different countries, and I had a a address. Uh, from Jean Paul Gaultier, and it literally weighed 13 kilos. I don't know how much that is in pounds. 13 kilos, and I already had a back problem. So what we did actually, we put a chair um, because the, the 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 skirt was so big. So we actually had there was room enough for the chair. And I, I if I don't remember wrong, I think Edward at a point was sitting under it under inside my skirt <laughs> when. we... <laughs> you know coming with a, with a chair uh when the camera was't something else and we at eight at one o'clock at night we were still rehearsing and you know we, we, we were almost in tears because we were so tired and you know we had the, we had already made the the two semifinals and I don't know if people understand how much this week of work is because we do we well, we basically do two shows a day the whole week. So you know when we do it live we are already, we have already rehearsed it from, from top to end, I think three times. So, and when you do that, yeah, I mean, you are just exhausted. And I remember Mons Selmeleov also, he he had so much energy in the beginning. And I remember thinking, ah, he's going to be tired, you know, after, uh, and, uh, you know, in the middle of the week. uh, And I remember once coming to his, uh, I think we had done the two semifinals and, you know, Mons is always so polite and, but, for once he had put like a note on his um dressing room. Uh I'm sleeping, don't disturb me. And then I understood that oh also, even he even he could become a little bit uh, tired because it uh, so anyway, yeah, so so I, I remember I remember that night when we were almost like crying of tiredness on our yeah. because of yeah.
2: I could well imagine.
4: I don't answer your questions very well. I give you like five (laughs) answers every
2: time. (laughs) Honestly, it's fine. We're getting loads of stories from you. I've got two more questions. We've done loads about looking back at the past. Can we do a couple where we look ahead to the future? Yes, of course. One, uh, which we've gotten so many great answers from all the other people we've spoken to, is about the UK. And if you were in charge, if you were the head of delegation, if you were the person to choose what would happen to the UK going forward, so try and make the UK better again Mm. like it used to be Mm. what would you do
4: Mm. yeah uh well i yeah I, I think it's a pity if it is, as you say, uh, not taken as seriously or, or just being mocked of. Or, or, or I don't know how the rates are when, when it comes to viewers or if it's high or low. Or Is it the view, low? The,
2: view, the viewers uh. are very good, actually, because of a lot oh, of they people. Are. Yeah, so that oh, okay. it always well, gets a lot of people watching it. But like I say, a lot of people watch it because they like to make fun of it or they like to make yeah. ridiculous Well, I
4: think it. that one, one thing that... Um, uh, edward and krista and, and martin and well many people working with the the contest uh, did was to be a little bit self-aware and also be able to make fun of yourself that you that in the show you show that you are having kind of a distance at the same time as you are in love with it so you can actually like in love love peace peace you kind of yeah, you make fun of the competition, but in a in a in a loving way. And if you have done that, then I think you have the man mandate or the authority to take it seriously. Uh, so in the I think in the interval acts uh, that are made here in Sweden in Meldifestivalen, it's a lot of meta do you call it meta humor that we kind of make fun of ourselves and the and the competition as such, and that actually makes it possible to to take the competition seriously when it when it starts. And then I think the magical thing is that building up to the final, if you go and have like six shows before the final and you go around to different, I mean, small cities have hosted um, the, the, the semifinals in Sweden. And that, you know, if you come to a smaller city uh, with this national show, you know, everyone is, the, the whole city, uh becomes alive and and you know for one week they will live for this and there are so many volunteers working with it and so they make a buzz about it and if you go around sweden and make this buzz and it builds up to this final i think everyone in the country feels like they are part of it and that is not just something happening in stockholm and uh that you don't care about that um that you actually build you yeah it's like you build up to it and also the thing is here in sweden that it's possible to make a career out of melody festivalen um, so you know that if you win or if you do uh you don't even have to win but we we have this uh girl who sang a song uh just with a guitar a clara uh, klingenstrom um, Klingeström, quite a serious song actually about leaving a bad relationship and uh, I mean she didn't win but her song and her career is just moving up like this. (laughs) that way I think it has become a little bit of what the idol has been uh, isn't it like that in the UK that after that you can really make a career and I think the Maldives Festival is is the same whereas that I, I whereas I have understood that in other countries it isn't you can participate and then it's you just maybe are forgotten again but here is yeah so I think those three things the, being able to make a good career after it Uh, Building up in many shows and then having a lot of humour.
2: There you go. Write them down, BBC. (laughs) Petra has has spoken. Finally, I answered the
4: question.
2: (laughs) I know Krista said a few years ago, uh, Krista Bjorkman, of course, he said a few years ago that he would have been interested in helping the BBC turn their fortunes around. Uh, If the BBC rang you, Petra, to come and host a a show, would you do it?
4: Mm -hmm. In a heartbeat. Really? Really? I I mean, I worked with um, uh, BBC and Graham Norton, and I'm so amazed by how professional the English telly, or at least BBC, is. One thing I can tell you is that here in Sweden, we usually don't work with prompters. So you have to learn everything you say. You know, you have to learn it by heart. And when I came to um, London to to do this 60s... uh, your vision that show uh i was um i just said uh i'm i'm not, I'm not going to be able to 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 do this uh, i mean i can't learn all the text and then i worked with simon proctor who is just wonderful um and he said you don't have to learn anything petra we've got proctors and i just said si- what are you saying simon and i just looked everywhere there were there were signs saying what i was supposed to say you know there was a camera and just beneath it or just there everything so I could actually just I know I hardly had to I had to prepare but it was it was great well, and I was just yeah so I would absolutely come I would absolutely come yes if my English is good enough I I I, I now I see that I'm forgetting words but I know I can get into it absolutely Pedro and it doesn't matter it
2: doesn't matter if your English uh, isn't good enough because it's on the prompter. you just have to read what it says <laughs>
4: exactly exactly but how should I improvise I will improvise anyway oh yeah no I think my English is fine I'm actually amazed by this interview, how I think I have a lovely accent. I I lose words, but I, you know, and I remember at school, I always wanted to be British. So when I was like eight, I said, I'm Petra. Yes, of course I can. I I tried to sound like a snobby English person. (laughs) I would love to come. I would love to come. Yes.
2: So Petra, next year, when the BBC does six shows from six different cities, shall we pencil you down for Newcastle? Do you want to come and do the show in
4: Newcastle? of course of course yes Newcastle it sounds uh, it sounds yeah castle and you two good words yes absolutely and most, most can do the city before and then we end up together uh, in the finals in London
2: perfect let's see what happens um, yes Pedro. one last one from me if we were going to change something about the Eurovision Song mm-hmm. Contest if you were allowed to choose one thing to change What would it be? What would you like to see different at the contest going Uh,
4: forward? Well, I think now I'm speaking from my point of view, because I, since I'm a comedian, I would like to have a lot of uh, comedy, more and more comedy in the Eurovision Song Contest. And I also would like the the, the people commentating on the, you know, the national commentators that they don't speak when the hosts are speaking, because then we miss, you know, I've seen the Eurovision Song Contest from 2012 being held, being show showed in other countries. And then when I speak, it's the commentators that are just saying other things. So they lose all the manuscript that we have written, all the jokes, all the, and I think that When the hosts speak, you can have subtitles instead so that you don't miss the all the fun that we have prepared.
2: So, Petra, you mentioned that dream you had earlier on about participating at Melody Festival And Is there any chance that we'll ever see you host Melody Festival again? Because we've seen you do it twice before and we've seen you do Eurovision twice before. We'd love to see you on that screen again
4: oh thank you so much i hope you are talking for 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 many people uh and uh, you know I don't close any doors i love your vision i love first Festival, and, and it will always be a part of me absolutely
2: perfect stuff well Petra what a journey we've mm-hmm. been on over the last yes. goodness knows how long honestly it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you thank you so oh, much for all thank your you wonderful so much,
4: stories. it was a pleasure i hope i didn't uh, i hope you got some answers you know or have answers as at least, because I talk so much.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, honestly, Petra, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: This is the Eurotrip.
3: When you aren't listening, you can find us on social media.
2: We're at Eurotrip Podcast.
4: Warming you up for the Eurovision Song Contest.
3: Well, I hope all of you listening have enjoyed that for the last, however long that has been, it has flown by, because that was a fascinating conversation. And James, thank you from me, on behalf of everybody that's just heard it, for such a wonderful conversation between you and Petra. We learned at the start of the interview how you say a surname, but that was a while ago now, so I will just continue to refer <laughs> to her as Petra. But, oh, well done you. Brilliant to have her on. And all I'm going to think about now is the fact that she passed up the opportunity to go to Monza's summer house. I mean, that is that is a trip that you don't say no to, surely. Honestly,
2: I mean, everything she said, I thought was absolutely fascinating. I think she was just so lovely, so genuine, so laid back as well. It was one of those, you know, Rob, where you're having a, you know, you're recording an interview with somebody and you just sort of forget you are recording because it's just so natural and so laid back. And she was just such a joy. And as she was saying at the end there, hopefully one day we'll see her on the Eurovision stage again or on the Melfest stage or... If the BBC do pick up that phone, hosting a potential BBC UK national selection at some point, that would be exciting, wouldn't it?
3: Now, I want to know the answer to this. I think everyone listening will want to know the answer to this. The best part of doing interviews on Zoom is that you get to see somebody's room in their house. What room in Petra's home did you see and what was it like I pretty much saw the full house, to be perfectly
2: honest with you, because she was on a phone, and she was she spent about the first two minutes as she joined, walking around to find the best lighting in the house. She was closing blinds, opening blinds, opening doors, opening big windows. windows. That's what
3: that means. Big windows. Yeah,
2: longer. <laughs> uh, but it looked absolutely lovely. Uh, you always say that one of your favourite backdrops of her of a Eurovision interview you've done, is Dia Norberg back in the early days of the podcast in her lovely grandmother's house, I think
3: it was, in northern Sweden. Y- the Swedes yeah. love a lovely house, don't they? They certainly do. They certainly do. I thought you were going to mention Andreas Mamontovus off of LT United. You <laughs> did him in his garage. That was another highlight. Yeah, we've had some good ones. We have had some good ones. Dave Benton's also got a good kitchen, if you're interested. <laughs> uh, all of these people are people that we've spoken to on the podcast before. So if you are a new listener, if this is the first time you are hearing one of our podcasts go back have a look in this podcast feed that you found this episode in and you can find all of those interviews and maybe stick around because we will be back very very shortly full steam ahead for Eurovision 2022
2: Eurovision 2022, Junior Eurovision 2021, of course, is rolling around very, very quickly. It'll be here in December, but of course, there's a lot of countries choosing their artists and their songs. So there's plenty happening in the world of the Eurovision Song Contest. And the EuroTrip is going to be the place to be to keep up with it and to hear from all the major players
3: as well as we get closer to each of those contests over the next few months or so. Who knows? Maybe you will have found the scenes for you late and maybe all of those things (laughs) will have happened. Uh, if you are listening to us from the future, let us know what it's like. What's the future like? What's going on? Who won Eurovision 2022? <laughs> I don't know how late you're going to be listening to this, but anyway. Oh, please do, though, genuinely, seriously, let us know your thoughts on everything you've just heard at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, and hello at com on the email. And we should probably go, because we're not going to top anything that's happened so far in this episode, because that was all down to Petra, and brilliant to have her on. And Petra, if you're listening, thank you for being here. What a pleasure, Petra, from me as
2: well. And from all the listeners, I assure you, thank you so much for speaking so openly and honestly about all your viewers and experiences. They were honestly an absolute delight to hear. But probably time for us to go, as Rob says. Uh, we'll be back with you again very, very shortly. We do promise you that. But in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review and rate us five stars. From me, James, it's goodbye. And from
3: me, Rob, it's goodbye.